0: All of you out this morning, we're glad that you're here with us. Our lesson for this morning is a little different than it was Uh, the last couple of months. We've been studying a a series that had the title of More Like Jesus. And we had the intent of learning from the actions of Jesus, learning from His life, what we could implement in our own lives. Uh, We have been studying how to resist temptation. How to be loving, caring, and compassionate. How to be prayerful and how we should worship God. How to serve rather than being served. How to react when we are rejected. And those have all been, I, I think, good, eye-opening lessons for us. Helping us to to be more of what God wants us to be. But today we shift our attention and our focus a little bit. Uh, a little away from what Jesus was like, and just learning more about Him. Learning about who He is and what He means to us. Uh, We begin by taking a closer look at the events surrounding His crucifixion. Uh, We're going to look at His final days on earth, the last week that He was alive, at least before His crucifixion. And today's lesson is going to focus on Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And today's lesson is going to be a little different in that we, we've done a whole lot. I've noticed uh, that over my my course of, of time preaching here, that a majority of my lessons have been topical lessons, uh, in that we take a topic and we explore all the different scriptures and. All the different places in Scripture that these things are mentioned and what we can learn from them. But today is going to be a little different and the next few weeks will be a little different because this is more of an examination of a text and its meaning. Uh, I haven't done a lot of expository lessons, so uh, this will be a little bit of a change and maybe uh, a welcome change for some of you. But today's text is going to be Matthew 21. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. Uh, I chose the scripture from John as the scripture reading because it was different than the other gospels and the different accounts that we find uh, different from Matthew. Uh, But we're going to focus on what is said in Matthew 21 and beginning with verse 1. And this again is coming from the New King James Version. Now when they drew near Jerusalem... And came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately... He will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitudes said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. It is interesting to read these events, read of these events, In light of, uh, we know what happened later on. We know what happened in the next few days. We know what led to the cross. And so to read of the people accepting Jesus in the way that they did, it is very interesting in that regard, at least in my opinion. If we were to look at this from our calendar This will be the Sunday before the Friday of Jesus' crucifixion. Chronologically speaking, at least as best we know, in John's account this follows the raising of Lazarus. In Luke's account this follows the parable of the talents. In Mark's account as well as Matthew's account it tells that he had performed many wonders and miracles before their eyes. The people, because of what Jesus had been able to do, were convinced that he was the Messiah, at least in this moment, and thus the events that followed. We also understand that Jesus' triumphal entry had been foretold in Scripture. This is not something that is completely new. This is something that had been told of well before time. We turn our attention for a moment to the book of Zechariah. And in Zechariah, I I know I've been doing an interesting study uh, on my own as part of our radio program that, that we do. And uh, we've been studying the history of the nation of Israel. We're we're at the point now where we're coming out of the captivity and they're rebuilding the temple. And so the book of Zechariah uh, comes in that place. and, And this last week's lesson was from Zechariah. But in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. In the last chapter of Zechariah, Zechariah 14, and beginning with verse 3, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives which faces Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. We see that in the latter chapters of Zechariah chapters 9 through 14 we see messianic prophecy in that this is prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. And we see that this is speaking of Jesus. And especially the passage in chapter 9. foretold of the event that we're reading about in Matthew 21. Uh, another assurance to us that this is not a fluke. This is not just something that happened. This is part of God's plan. So what we are told in the New Testament is, is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Now as we look at our text in Matthew 21, we see that uh, we have these disciples. We have these followers of Jesus. And, and we also have this man who was willing enough to donate a foal to G, for Jesus' use. But we're not told of their identity specifically. But we do know that these believed him to be the Messiah. They believed in who he was. They they believed from the the miracles that they had seen, from the things that they had seen happen. We see that that this is something that they believed. And another interesting point as far as our text is concerned is when we read about the donkey. Let's go back to verse 2. Yeah, let's look at verse 2. Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. And it's interesting to me that that Matthew's account is the only one that refers to this mother donkey. But we read that they were to uh, have these loosed. Loose them, bring them to me. And in verse 3, And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. And so as we look at at that text, as we look at the the donkey and the colt, is there anything significant, anything that we can learn? Uh, Again, Matthews is the only account in which both are mentioned. But the significance of the colt. As we look at the significance of the colt, we are told in Luke 19 and verse 30 that this was to be a colt on which no one has ever sat. This would be a worthy animal for a king, it would be in its purest form. No one had ever sat on it before. It it was pure. It was ready for its purpose. You know, we think of the the sacrifices of the Old Testament. They were to be pure. They were to be, in order to be accepted by God, they had to be of their purest form. Uh, We see that the animals uh, are often mentioned as being firstborn, uh, the firstborn. and, And that was very important. But these are are animals, too, that that are of the purest form. And and so as as Jesus is going to ride on this colt, this foal, it must be of its purest form, one that had never been ridden on before. But why might this foal have been accompanied by its mother? That's something that is interesting to me also. But as it was one upon which no one had ever sat, this would serve as a great comfort to this young foal. And there are other reasons that are given uh, by many different commentators. uh, But I think the simplest is just this, that, that it was a comfort to have its mother there with him. As for the first time, someone was riding upon him. And why a donkey? You know, we think of horses as being the most majestic animals as far as riding on them. But horses along with with chariots are seen as signs of battle, signs of war. No king would likely be accepted unless he were to come to power in peace. So for one to come in humility, that was important. And for Jesus... To be one coming in humility, in lowliness. We go back to to the words of Zechariah. Lowly and riding on a donkey. Not only was this a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, but it was a symbol of humility, of meekness and peace. We think of other... Examples of humility, or actually examples of those that came not in humility. I think of Rehoboam from 1 Kings chapter 12. If you'll remember when Rehoboam came into power, what did he do? He asked advice first of the older wise men. And they said, lighten the burdens of the people, and they will serve you for the rest of their days. And then he asked the advice of his younger peers. And they said, make their burdens heavier. Make it harder for them so that they have no choice but to serve you. And what happened to Rehoboam? The kingdom of Israel was split in two. Rehoboam was only left with power over Judah and the small tribe of Benjamin. And the rest of Israel, the other ten tribes, uh, were split into uh, another kingdom under the rule of Jeroboam. What was wrong? What happened? Rehoboam didn't come in humility and peace. He came and he brought harshness upon the people. And they revolted against him for that reason. So we see the importance of a king coming in humility and lowliness. This would be a king that they could serve under. And that was significant for Jesus. We also read in this text of Jesus' disciples in verse 6 it says that the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, as they should. They were following him and they followed his command. Subjection to the one they accepted as their king is what we see. And the treatment that Jesus was given was that which was fit for a king. In 2 Kings chapter 9 and verse 13, as we read of, of Jehu coming into power, it is said that each man hastened to make to take his garment and put it under him on the top of the steps. And they blew trumpets saying, Jehu is king. It, this was a sign of acceptance as a king. And so we see this treatment in the Old Testament. And, and the praises that these, these disciples gave... In Matthew 21, and verses 8 and 9, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Mark 11 and verse 10 adds, Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In Luke 19 and verse 38 it is added, "Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest." In John 12 and verse 13, Hosanna, to the king of Israel. Each of these is important as they recognize Jesus. As a king. As one coming from the Lord. And from the highest. As the king of God's people, Israel. In verse 11, the multitudes said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. This is a proclamation of the disciples' acceptance of Jesus as their king. And again, when we look forward, when we contrast these events with what was to come, when we see that these same people of Jerusalem, they're the ones that rejected Jesus. They're the ones that hung him on a cross. They're the ones that crucify Him. And we see what is to come. And we will in the next few weeks, Lord willing. We see a, a very different thing than what we're reading here in Matthew 21. But what is the meaning of all of this? What, what do we learn from this text? First of all, Jesus could have been a ruler among rulers. The greatest of them all. He possessed power over legions of angels if he wished. In his arrest, we read in Matthew 26 and verses 51 through 53. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and He will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? Jesus could have been a conquering king commanding the loyalty of those subject to him but he didn't come as he could have so we see in in this text we see who Jesus could have been the people could Have accepted him as their king. Physically speaking. Making him king of the Jews. But we see that that Jesus didn't come. As a conquering king. Jesus was instead. Meek and humble. Traits that he himself taught. His disciples. We look at Matthew 5, beginning with verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 9 Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Peter said of Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2, and beginning with verse 21, 1 Peter 2 and 21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. Verse 23, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. And though he was meek and humble, we also understand him to be a king. Look at the angel's announcement to Mary in Luke 1. Beginning with verse 30. Luke 1 and verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. We read of his reign in Philippians chapter 2 beginning beginning with verse 8. Philippians 2 and verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man... He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth. And of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 7 and 8. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. Jesus would be exalted. He will be in the last days. He already has been. But he will be exalted as king. We are told that his reign will be forever. Go back to what is said in Luke 1 and verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob Forever. Israel, spiritual Israel, the church, the people of God. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Matthew 21 helps us to realize not only who Jesus could have been. He could have come as a conquering king. He could have come with great power demanding that people serve him. But he came in humility and meekness with a lowly spirit. We are to serve him today but he doesn't force us to. We are given God's Word and we are given a choice as to whether we will recognize Him as our King or not. There are some songs that, that we sing. I remember as a, as a teenager, I, I questioned some of the wording in some of them. And it talks about crowning Him as, as our King. I remember asking my grandfather about it one time because I was curious about it. You know, why did some of the books say this? And, and they're actually changed in some of the others like ours. And I remember my grandfather teaching me that, that yes, he is king, but it is also important for us to recognize him as our king. It is important for us to crown Jesus as our king As we look at Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, what was accomplished in the Jerusalem entry? In his entry, again, we see him as he could have been, but what he chose to be instead. We see fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, a way for us and those of Jerusalem to know that he is the promised Messiah. As we look at at what we are told of, as the crowd rejoiced, Jesus must have been sorrowful. And looking forward into what was to come later in that week, it seems ironic that the crowd rejoiced in the way that they did. As they move closer to the worst deed that could possibly be done in history. You see great accomplishment in what Jesus did in dying on the cross for the sins of mankind. And again, it is promised that of His kingdom there will be no end. Luke 1 and verse 33. We see kingdoms come and go. We see powers, great national powers that come and go. We look at ourselves in the United States and, and, and often we think that, that we must be one of the greatest powers in the world. And, and certainly I believe that we are. But if time continues, is there a possibility that we won't be one of the greatest powers in the world? It's very possible. Kingdoms come and go. Kings come and go. Presidents come and go. But of the kingdom of Christ, there will be no end. The question that I leave with you today, are you a part of His kingdom? Do you recognize Him as King? Especially as King of your life. King of your being. Have you been obedient to the gospel plan of salvation? Have you been baptized for the remission of your sin? Have you remained faithful? Or have you wandered away? Can you say today, with all assuredness, that you are part of the kingdom of Christ? If not, if you're subject to the Lord's invitation, either in obedience or in repentance, if there is some way that we can assist you this morning, We'd be glad to do so as together we stand and as we sing.